your culture is a living, breathing thing that always has to be improved. To me, the minute you stop working on the culture piece is the minute you're going to stop growing. You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Today, you'll hear from Chad Peterman, the president of Peterman Heating, Cooling, and Plumbing, employing 130 people in Indiana. Chad decided to join the family business in August 2011 after recognizing the opportunity for the then mostly commercial business to branch out to residential service. It turns out that there was a lot of opportunity there. 18 of the 21 million Peterman did in revenue last year came from the residential division. We talked about the importance of personal growth, a whole lot about hiring and growing your team, and how to add a new trade to your business model. For more information on Chad, visit servicetitan.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Chad Peterman, welcome to the Tools for the Trades podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, Chad Peterman, president of Peterman Heating, Cooling, and Plumbing in Indianapolis, Indiana. We have uh, have a primary location in Indianapolis. We also have uh, two other locations, one in Lafayette, Indiana, as well as Columbus, Indiana. So happy to be here and, and talk, uh, talk about what we're doing and, and hopefully help somebody along the way. That's amazing. Can you tell me how, I know you're in charge of the residential side of the business, but uh, could you tell me about how many employees you guys have and how much revenue you pulled in last year, if you have those numbers on you? Yeah, yeah, we're, uh, we're about 130, 130 people and we did just under $21 million last year. Congratulations. That Thank must you. have been such an achievement for you guys. It was. It was. We did uh, a little under 16 the year before, and so had about uh, right around 30% growth last year. So excited to get started into this year and see what uh, see what happens. I'm not sure about everybody else around the country. We could use a little bit of help from the weather. It hasn't been the, the kindest, been fairly mild uh, through the winter and through, uh, through the summer. So we'll see if we can get a little bit of help, but uh, regardless, we'll, we'll make something happen. That's awesome. Can you tell me about how you got into the trades? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our company was started in 1986 uh, by my father. Uh, he started in the back of our garage just about three months before I was born. So if you can imagine that, uh, that story of my dad coming home and letting my mom know that uh, he had quit his job and, uh, and was starting his own company. So they're still, still happily married after that, made it through. And um, I graduated from college in uh, in 2009. No real plans of joining dad in the business. Not very mechanically inclined. All of that stuff kind of scared me in knowing that, okay, well, that's pretty much what dad does and he's good at that stuff and so on and so forth. So after college, I left, uh, left town and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, took a job there with a company, worked there for about two years, traveled all throughout the Southeast. And then around probably summer of 2011, started to get interested in maybe coming back home. I spent two years out on the road, great experience, learned a lot, but uh, decided that I was going to come back home and uh, get involved in the business. Um, still not a huge understanding of what I was getting into, still somewhat scared of not knowing a bunch about the trades or, you know, I knew I wasn't going to go work on a furnace, but, you know, kind of figuring out what we were going to do. So that was August of 2011. I officially joined the company. I think I was employee number 21 or 22 at the time. Joined the company, did a little bit of everything. So uh, I, I rewrote the website uh, when I first started, not by myself, but just like reading books and working with somebody who knew about computers and websites and all that good stuff. Did that. I did some sales, did some management, um, really just getting a feel for the entire business. From then, I've held, uh, as I'm sure most people can relate, have held various roles, 
throughout the company, um, really touched all aspects of it. Along the way, we added plumbing, we bought locations, we started up new locations from scratch. We added drains and excavation about three years ago. Really uh, have seen quite a bit and just continue to work at it as we continue to grow. So what did you go to college for originally? So I went to uh, I went to Wabash College, which is a uh, small liberal arts school in Crawfordsville, Indiana. It's actually one of two all male colleges in the country, and so I uh, went there. I originally went there, uh, played football there, and um, studied. I I think. Thinking back when I left for college, I, I think I wanted to be a lawyer. I think that lasted about a semester. And then it was just kind of like business was, was what I wanted to get into. So very broad, didn't really know what I wanted to do, so on and so forth. No, totally. I can 100% relate to that. My degree is in neuropsychology. Clearly, okay. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so when you were in the Southeast, just kind of exploring, were you looking for business opportunities like, or were you just kind of doing that post-college trying to find yourself deal? Yeah. So I worked for a company. Uh, I actually had a career fair um, around May of my senior year. So it would have been 2009. Um, ran into a lady there who was looking for sales reps. I didn't really know anything about sales, didn't really know anything about business, didn't know anything about anything. And so I stayed in contact with her and I believe I started, so that would have been May in about August or well, probably June, July, reconnected with her. They were still looking to fill the position. And so I took over. I worked, uh, the company manufactured adhesive. And so I worked in the paper and packaging division where we went into big paper mills and packaging plants and all of that and really um, sold them the, essentially it's adhesive, but tape where they used to these big reels uh, that were spinning to splice them together, essentially. So I had accounts from West Virginia to Florida and Florida to Texas. So I was basically on an airplane every Monday morning and back every Thursday night, Friday morning. What was the thing that prompted you to potentially move back home and become, what was it, employee number 22 for your dad's business? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I'm not really sure. I would assume there was probably some some homesickness in there as well, being away for two years. And I think the hardest part about it was the fact that because I was like an outside account manager, I didn't really have an office or anything like that. And I was on the road every week. So kind of setting up a stable kind of life was, uh, you know, somewhat difficult. So I spent a lot of time living out of my suitcase and I would throw in trips home so I could go home and then fly out the next morning and so on. And it was, it was kind of, uh, it made it easy to get back home. But I think, uh, I think there was some of that. And then also some of just kind of growing up and, and realizing the potential opportunity that we had the dad's business. And that was not even really knowing anything about it. But um, I think there was so probably a little bit of homesickness, a little bit of just growing up, I think was probably the probably the main reason. Gotcha. And you said this, this potential here with dad's business. What was the biggest thing that surprised you when you became employee number 22? Yeah, I think just all the elements that go into it. So at the time, we did quite a bit of um, new construction and new construction in the multifamily rehab space. So we did rehabs and and then big apartment buildings, not your like um, your big neighborhoods full of 300 homes. We didn't do any of that work. But so there was a lot on that side of things. And then there was the residential piece, which was fairly small. For us, I would say probably in 2011, I think we were probably total revenue of maybe $5 million-ish, uh, somewhere in there, but probably three and a half of that to four was all new construction, commercials type stuff. So not a huge residential side at the time. And so I think when I first started trying to understand that, looking back to 2011, it's like, wow, we really had very little idea about that side of the business and what we were trying to do. Compare that now to, you know, we did just under 21 million this past year and probably and roughly 18 of that was residential. So uh, we only have a very small portion of our business that's still in that commercial side of things. 
Yeah. Uh, and from what I've heard from other owners that I've spoken with is because that side of the business, there's so much that could go wrong and you could have so much money in accounts receivable and you're just not getting that immediate pay that you do with residential. Yeah, I think there, there's def- that is definitely true. I think the other piece of it is the workflow. So, you know, when the economy's good and people are building stuff, yeah, it's great. There's, you know, more work than you can handle, but you never know when it's going to turn. And then also at the same time on the residential side, it, it, I, I don't foresee it going. Everyone's going to need heating and cooling and indoor plumbing in their home. So that was kind of another advantage too that, that we looked to capitalize on. Did you play a big role in growing that residential side of the business? Yeah. So um, that was joined in 2011, kind of, you know, just kind of learning and, and getting our feet wet as we kind of kind of grew steadily, nothing crazy growth like we've seen over the past really three to four years, but just steady growth. And uh, in 2015, we joined Nexstar, which has really just kind of catapulted us to a new level, which has been awesome. So we joined there and that was kind of the, really the turning point uh, for us to say, you know, we're committed to growing this residential side and that's what we want to do. So from that point forward, we've really just dove in and implemented everything they teach us, regardless of if it sounds weird at the beginning. It's like, well, they know what they're talking about. So just do it. You don't need to question it. Just, just do what they say. It's a very simple formula. I feel we just do as we're told and try to make it better. There's no, no need to try to recreate the wheel. Totally. What were some of those things that you first implemented when you guys joined Nexstar that really paid off in dividends? Yeah, I think um, really it starts with, which is is kind of uh, ironic uh, being on this podcast, is the call centerpiece and dispatch. So understanding how to book calls properly and then how to dispatch with capacity. So we used to, you know, we would call all our customers and we'd book up every technician with as much maintenance call or with many, as many maintenance calls as we could. And then it would get hot undoubtedly. And then they would still have all these maintenance calls and we wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have the room to take on new customers. And so really understanding the weather patterns and, and the need to put our calls on the board strategically so that when it does normally get hot, we are ready to tell customers, hey, we'll be out there today. And so that was a big a big part for us. We split apart the call center and dispatch. So people in the call center were just booking calls and putting them on the board. Dispatcher was trying to get uh, get people around around town most efficiently and create revenue. Gotcha. So kind of shifting that mindset from we have to make sure that our techs are busy and always on jobs to let's make sure that we're sending them to the right jobs and we're being strategic about how many jobs we're doing in a day so we have room for new customers. So as this is all going on, as you're joining Nexstar, uh, how are you growing as someone who never expected to work in, in the trades, but now is in charge of kind of growing this whole new division of your dad's HVAC and plumbing company? So for me, it was kind of a shift, probably 16, 17, we're growing. And I think once you, once you start growing, you're always trying to pinpoint why, what am I doing that's allowing for this to happen? And obviously it wasn't just me, we're doing it as a bigger and bigger team as we move forward. And I think the thing that I discovered most was the culture that we had organically was one that we needed to really define and really start spreading. And so 16, 17 into 18, from all of those years, we grew at probably at 30, around 30 to 40% a year. So just really explosive growth, which was great. But then you got to wrap your arms around this and figure out, okay, what are we doing here? And uh, for me, um, really tapping into personal growth and leadership is the key to everything. And so over the last couple of years, we have really doubled down on building leaders on our team. And what that has done and what I've seen it really transpire around, around the office is that people are attracted to places where they're being invested in and they have the ability to grow. And so what we've seen is the ability to attract really, really good people. And then when we invest in them and work to grow them, the company naturally grows. 
And it's a very simple formula. You invest in your own personal development and then invest in those around you. You can't help but grow because you want to be better than you were yesterday, better than you were the day before and so on and so forth. Gotcha. You're giving already some great strategic tips and tricks that I'm, I'm writing down and I can't wait to dig into a little bit more later. But before we do, I really want to hone in a little bit more about you. So tell me yeah. how, you've, how you have invested in your personal development. Yeah. So I love learning. I try to spread that same love for learning around the office and really just trying to expose people to as much stuff as possible. And so the way that we've done that is by a number of different things. So uh, I teach a bi-monthly class that uh, is all about leadership. So last Friday for an hour, whatever I'm reading, whatever I'm studying, whatever it is, I sit down and really stand up and, and, and talk for an hour on leadership and uh, how it relates to what we're doing. We then take all that content and we put it out on our podcast so that uh, you know, two-thirds of our workforce is out in their vehicles, so it makes it very easy for them to listen to. We've also transformed our management meeting every Wednesday to include all of our senior management along with our field supervisors. And we are going through books, we're talking about articles, whatever it may be, whatever we can do to really spread the culture of leadership. And so for me, the learning that I do is important. The personal growth that I do is important. However, the most important thing is sharing that. And to me, we can learn and, you know, read as many books and go to as many conferences and do this, that, and the other. But if we do not share it with the people on our team, that it, it does us really no good. And so that's what I've really made a commitment to is sharing is any time that I run across something i Constantly, people constantly come in and find chapters of books printed out on their desk or an article that I read or whatever it may be, just there again to really just stamp that culture of we're always working to get better. Gotcha. What are some of the most memorable lessons that you've shared? Yeah. So we're, uh, we're talking right now about the ability to listen. There's a big difference between always wanting to be right as a manager and then always opening yourself up to learn and asking those great questions and uncovering why it is someone may be struggling or someone doesn't understand what we're trying to do, whatever it may be. And then uh, to go along with that is really getting our management to understand that their job is to build leaders on their team. I think in our industry, you know, leadership can be looked at as, well, I got my service manager and I got, you know, the call center manager and I got my managers. And so those are the leaders that I need. And we neglect sometimes that if our technicians can be leaders, that's a really powerful thing. And their leadership comes in a bunch of different forms. It comes in leading themselves. And so they're, they're constantly working to get better. And it also comes in, in leading others on their team, our younger guys who are coming up through the trade who need help and guidance. And so really just working to create that. And then as I spoke earlier, the magnetism that that creates, when people hear that there's a place where they can grow and people are investing in their future and they want them to be something better than they are today, that's attractive. And that's attractive, especially in our industry that can sometimes get a bad name that, you know, hey, how, how much can we work this technician this week and, you know, just run more calls and, you know, you're on call and so on and so forth. And, and, and we just really have to take a step back and understand how we can grow our people, not beat them down until we get that result that we're looking for. And I think that can definitely, that, that bleeds into the tremendous amount of growth that you guys have experienced in the last year. And I know you guys won a very big award last year. Do you remember what it was? We won uh, plumbing and, what was it? Plumbing and mechanical magazines, residential contract <laughs> for the year. Yeah. I don't know if I have the magazine right there, but plumbing and. Uh, plumbing and, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure. Yeah. It's like, okay. so talk to me about how that felt to win an award like that. Yeah, you know, it was really neat because uh, Nexstar had nominated us for the award. So to be in the company of such great companies at Nexstar, I think they're over 
700 members now across the country and just some just incredible companies that I'm lucky enough to to talk with quite a few of them and share ideas and how we get better and and what we can improve on and um to be nominated by them as, as someone kind of or hopefully doing our part to uh, improve the industry and and, and hopefully uh, set a better example in years to come. That was pretty neat. And then to share it with our team, that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Tell me about some of the uh, most influential books that you've read in your growth. Yeah. So uh, big reader, um, love reading and constantly learning. Uh, big John Maxwell fan, working on uh, some, um, as we develop our um, school here uh, within Peterman to train new technicians, a big uh, Lencioni fan, the ideal team player and books like that. As we kind of develop who it is that we want to recruit on our team and then teach them the trade is a very important part. Just a number of books, Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko Willink is another one I've just read recently that's just packed with a ton of great lessons as it regards to leadership. That's awesome. I love how much contractors love to read. Those are great yeah. recommendations. So just going back to your personal growth, for your personal journey in the trades, what's the most significant lesson that you've learned up until this point? I think for my personal growth was understanding what the business is truly about. As I mentioned, when I first came back, I was under the impression that the business was selling furnaces and fixing water heaters and repairing sump pumps and all of those things. And, and what I came to learn and what I think has been critical for my own personal growth is understanding that this is a people business. And it's really about just growing people. Um, and I know we've, we've touched on it um, quite a bit, but to me, it, it is the, it's the most important thing that we do. And a lot of businesses are like that, but I think ours being a service business, we're in service to, uh, as we say here, our number one customer, and that's the people on our team. They're our number one customer. If we take care of them and grow them, they'll take care of every customer we come in contact with that calls us for a heating or plumbing problem. I love that. I think that's wonderful. And I really want to get into how you do that at Peterman. But before we do, before we go into like the tips, tricks, and strategies section, is there anything about your journey through the trades that we haven't talked about that we should have talked about? I don't think so. I think there's probably some people out there, you either, it seems like you either grew up in it and were technician all the way up to, you know, leading a company or you came in from outside the industry like I did, even though I grew up around it. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, my journey is, is one that continues every day and I can honestly say I love what I do. People sometimes ask me, you know, what do you do outside of work? And it's not really, it's not really work when the goal of what you're doing is to, to grow people and help people and ultimately help customers that it just becomes, that's just what you enjoy doing. And I think that's really the fun part. You know, I see, talk to a lot of people, you know, stressed and uh, different things like that. And I tell people all the time that I'm far less stressed now than I was at 20 employees. And, uh, you know, we've got quite a few more now. That's wonderful. And I actually have one more question about kind of the personal stuff. What's it like uh, being in a family business, being the second generation in a family-owned business? Yeah. So, um, you know, with respect to family business, I feel like that story can go one of two ways. It can go terribly, uh, terribly wrong. And, and there's a lot of strife and, and, and arguing, or it can go like we've been fortunate enough to have it. And I think that's partly due to we we all three, myself, my brother, and my dad, all have kind of different skill sets and all kind of like to do different things. So we kind of stay out of each other's way. And I think we've made it a point to stay in our own lane. When there's any crossover with a decision that needs to be made, I think we do a really good job of just taking a step back and saying, hey, that's, that's your call. I trust your decision. The other piece of the puzzle that I think that we've been blessed with is uh, is really our dad. He has, from uh, really the very beginning, never, I mean, he has his opinion about things, but has never really questioned questioned if we wanted to do something or felt like we should go this direction. He's always supported us. 
there's never a, well, you can't do that or that's never going to work or anything of that nature. It's always just been very open and honest support of, well, yeah, let's, let's give it a shot and let's see what it, see what it's going to do. And, you know, that empowerment is something that I think when it's happening to you, when you're being empowered, you don't really take stock of it. But as you work to empower others as a leader, you start to look back on those things and, and really understand how much that has really propelled you forward by someone just believing in you and, and, and really letting you kind of chart your own course. Yeah, that's incredibly valuable. And it's so rare actually to find it in jobs, but I'm finding the more service time customers that I speak to, like yourself, who've achieved tremendous growth, they all do that. Yeah. Um, and it, it's undoubtable. Like the more time you invest in people and more you empower people, the higher return you get. Absolutely. And so, it's a lot more fun too. It's so much more fun. And it's so much more fun to work for a business that actually seems to care about you. Yeah, absolutely. So with that in mind, let's switch over to kind of tips, tricks, and strategies. What are some things that you've implemented at Peterman? And I know we mentioned a few before that have really transformed your business and allowed you to achieve the level of success you guys have so far. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, it, it all starts with, as I, as I said earlier, finding great people. And so one of the big things that we have really made a commitment to is we just never stop recruiting. So we're always recruiting, always interviewing people, always have our proverbial pull in the water when it comes to finding great talent. As I mentioned briefly earlier, we're in the process later this year of, of really um, starting our bringing in our first class of students that will be teaching the trade over about 12, six to 12 months and then be setting them up in, in kind of a, a maintenance technician role, uh, whether that be in plumbing or, or on the heating side. So going from recruiting to growing our own talent is kind of our next step in the evolution of, uh, of finding great people. Earlier, I was talking to somebody and, you know, everyone's big thing, especially in the trades, is there's a labor problem and we can't find any good people. And, and, and I don't believe that at all, actually. Uh, I, I feel like uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a labor problem. It's a company problem. There's plenty of great people out there and there's plenty of people in the trades to staff your company that live in your city. It's just you haven't created a place that they want to come and work. And so to me, the second part of that while recruiting is creating that place that people want to come. And the great part about it, as far as giving advice to, to others, is that it's very, very simple. You just care about your people and you treat them like you would want to be treated. And I know that sounds very simple, but that's what we found success in is we care about each of them and we go out of our way to make sure that they know that we care. My brother and I, you know, we go to breakfast probably two, three times a week with, uh, with an employee and they schedule it and we meet them for breakfast and just learn a little bit about them and know about them. He or I sit in on every annual review that we hold here at the company. We sit in on a, I don't sit in on all the interviews anymore, but as of probably a year ago, I did. But I make sure that if I didn't sit on the interview, I'm definitely talking to you on your first day to let you know that we're here. This is who you are. You can come find me if something's going wrong. So we utilize that. We utilize a feedback software that we, we run an a internal survey quarterly that gives us a ton of feedback on where people are struggling, where they need stuff, whether it's feedback or they feel like they're overworked or they feel like they're underworked and they can do more. Whatever it is, we do that and then really analyze those results for the next quarter as to what we um, as a management team are going to work on to increase engagement in our business. That is huge for us is how do we continue to make this a place that people want to come work and not only work, but want to grow too. So investing in our people is huge and then celebrating when we do do stuff. So we have a ton of stuff. We last year, along with the, the plumbing uh, and mechanical magazine, we we're also named to uh, the top 25 fastest growing companies in Indianapolis. And we uh, we celebrated, we rented out a, a restaurant downtown and had everybody even their spouse out and celebrated and we have an all company meeting every month where we hand out awards and really celebrate the wins. I think that sometimes that can get overlooked 
especially in our business that's emergency based and it gets really busy and we forget about really celebrating accomplishments and, and what people are doing. That's incredible. So essentially always be recruiting, making sure that you're you know, you always have your, your proverbial pole in the, uh, the talent pond, branding your company in such a way, implementing a culture that empowers them, fosters their growth, and then also celebrates as you guys are winning as a team. So I think that's wonderful. I really want to talk about the growth aspect. What areas do you cover for growth? Is it technical training? Is it soft skills training? Is it personal training? What are some of the paths that you offer your employees? And I know it's also different too, because we're also talking about office staff and, and technicians. Yeah, for sure. So our big, pu- our big push on training is more of the soft skills. How do we create not another service call, but an experience for the customer. And that goes from technician to the person who answers the phone, to the dispatcher who checks in with the customer, to the people who follow up after the call, to the marketing that we send out to our customers. So it all has to have really the same feel, the same understanding of they know who they're dealing with. You know, we send out and have for the last four years an eight-page newsletter every single month to all of our customers um, where we celebrate employee birthdays, uh, employees having children. Uh, my dad writes an article. My wife writes a blog. We have recipes in there really to create that understanding of we are a family-run company and, and they know who they're dealing with. So back through that, the soft skills is huge for us. Uh, how a technician, and we learn that we or we take that from Nextstar, where we're teaching how to run a service call properly, how to make sure the customer's taken care of. And then also, obviously, being in a technical industry, the technical training's huge. So we train two times a month, usually, in the department meetings uh, when it comes to a technical aspect of, of their particular trade. We're constantly, when, got, when work is a little bit slow, utilizing that time to bring guys in and work on things that we may be struggling with. It's really just a, uh, an environment that we want to hopefully create where everyone's always learning. And then whether, even sometimes cross-training so that uh, plumbers know what heating guys are doing and, and vice versa. Gotcha. Talk to me about this school that you guys are developing. I'm really yeah. fascinated to learn more about this. Yeah. So um, again, this is kind of the the uh, influence of uh, of the Nextstar network and and some of the great companies that are doing a great job with this. A couple of companies that I that I've studied have these schools already inside their company and are are seeing great results uh, by finding people outside of the industry, but maybe possess a set of skills that can be translated into our industry. And so essentially what it will hope to look like is we'll bring in a class of four to five students. Nextstar actually has their own online curriculum, which is online-based along with hands-on. And so this group of probably five to six students to start will have a full-time trainer who's just in charge of these people. They'll spend time in the classroom every week and then time out in the field with senior technicians. The hope is, is that over the course of four to six months, we can get them up to speed technically along with the soft skills needed to run a call and turn them loose in kind of an introductory role out in the field, followed by another probably six to eight months of training in the back half of of this curriculum where hopefully as we get them out of it, they're ready to be a service technician, whether that be plumbing or, or heating. So it's our goal to hopefully have two classes a year at the start and then really just build our own technicians from within and uh, hopefully create more avenues where we can be, we can serve our customers more. So we can create shifting to be able to run calls in the morning along with in the hours when, when customers are needing us in the evening as well and on the weekends and really just be available when they're available. Gotcha. That's really fascinating. What a giant undertaking. So you mentioned, you know, you don't believe that there's a labor shortage. 
there's people out there, your company just needs to brand itself in such a way that people want to work for you. And you also mentioned like, you know, this training school is a great opportunity to take people who aren't from the trades, train them up and get the technicians you need. So what are some of the skills that you look for in a non-industry hire, for example, someone who you think would have the potential to be a good technician? Yeah. Yeah. So the things we're looking for are the ability to communicate. So communication is key, whether that be with a customer, whether that be internally, and then really a desire to grow. So a desire to know nothing about what what you're doing now and have the desire to learn, perhaps change careers altogether, but have enough confidence in yourself that you know you can do it with our help. And so really that desire to grow, communication skills, and then just the ability to adapt and uh, be a team player. I know that's kind of a broad term, but really someone who, who's going to allow people to invest in them and them also to invest in others on the team as we continue to grow. Gotcha. And you mentioned in 2016, 2017, as you guys were experiencing rapid growth, you really had to define your culture. And in talking with you, it sounds like your culture is very much empowering your people, celebrating your wins, always be learning. Are there any other elements to your culture that are very important and you think really you can attribute to your growth? I think those pretty much encapsulate it. I can tell you it's a thing that if you think you have a good culture out there in a company, the one thing that I've found that truly I think has allowed us to continue to grow is the understanding that it's never finished. It's never, hey, we spent this year and we really worked on our culture and we got to, you know, we put some values in place. We made this cool diagram. We've got, you know, this cool policy and everyone seems to be having a good time. Your culture is a living, breathing thing that always has to be improved. To me, the minute you stop working on the culture piece is the minute you're going to stop growing and it's going to be pretty rapid. So like even with the growth that we've seen and the culture build and everything like that, heck, just in the last two days, I've invested thousands of dollars in people coming in to analyze our culture, more leadership training for our team, just continuing to just double down whenever possible on culture and growth and leadership building. To me, that's, that's where money is best spent when it comes to investing in the company. So yeah, we're always looking for ways to improve it and just understanding that it's always going to need to be worked on, I think is the key. Do you by any chance have any retainment stats and are you willing to share them? I don't right now with me, kind of on hand, Um, (laughs) but uh, I could probably pull some. We look at it a little bit different in that, you know, some of our... uh, like we kind of split our group, some of our people that we're bringing on, if they're apprentices or, you know, new to the industry, sometimes you, you hope you get the right type of person, but sometimes getting that person to stick is, is, is more difficult. Whereas, you know, your more senior laden guys, you can get them to, to stick quite a bit, quite a bit better. Gotcha. No, totally. Uh, we don't, I was just curious if you had it. So yeah. it's, no, it's no big deal. So we talked about, you know, always be recruiting. We talked about creating a culture of learning and empowerment. We talked about your school. Earlier on in our interview, uh, you mentioned how you started strategically dispatching. What are some other strategies such as that one that you guys implemented that really paid off rather quickly? Yeah, uh, I think that always giving customers options is a big one for us. So uh, we have a particular way that we run a service call and then um, each customer is given options. We found that when we give them one solution, that's kind of like us making the decision. Whereas giving them different options of, you know, this, this is kind of a band aid. This is a complete fix. You'll never have to worry about it again. This is something in the middle, whatever it may be is, is really giving those options and then allowing them to make the decision for their home and what works best for them. So really training our technicians to give those options. I think two, it was uh, broadening our services. So as I said, we added plumbing in 2013, really got going after we joined Nexstar. 
along with uh, with sewers and excavation work. So being able to offer more services to a customer that you've already built that trust with and, and really got them to buy into what you're doing, I think helped us a lot. And then really, really doubling down on uh, on our membership. So our membership is our service plan or people call it all kinds of different things. But in 2000 and Let's see, 16, we revamped our membership. We changed it to uh, monthly pay membership, and uh, we put someone in charge of it. And uh, that was a key for us is to really watch our membership really grow explosively, which has been great because then it allows you to plan better. It goes back to dispatching calls. You've got a base of customers that you can, when it gets a little bit slower, you can, you know, smooth out those, those um, slower times. So that's been a real key for us too. And something that we're always focused on and, and always working to, to make better. And you mentioned it's a monthly charge opposed to what I, a lot of shops, I believe, do the one-time charge that covers yep. the person for a year. Yep. Yeah, we, uh, we made this switch um, simply because it was too difficult to predict the renewal. So depending on how it was sold and, you know, what the customer felt like they got as far as value, what technician was out there in front of the customer, it was difficult to get those renewals. And so we've constantly saw ourselves kind of just refilling the ones that fell off and it was kind of like an endless cycle. So we flipped to the monthly pay. People are very familiar with it. I mean, everyone can probably point to three or four things that they have coming out as kind of an auto draft out of their account. And so it kind of fit for us. The other thing that we work to stress with our customers is that because you're paying monthly, you're always covered. So you're a Peterman customer. And what we've seen with that is you don't have kind of the, well, am I on the plan? Am I paid? There's, there's no question. If you're paying monthly, you have someone that you can call and we're going to be out there to take care of you. Yeah, I was just about to ask that question. It's how do you deliver that monthly value to a customer time and time again? And it sounds like you also did mention you the newsletter and just communicating that value of you're always covered. Are there any other ways that you kind of market that value to them? Yeah, so the value, we really look at it as um, somewhat kind of insurance policy-esque in that uh, if you're a member, you don't pay a service call fee. So um, as long as you're paying your monthly do call it, then you can call us anytime, day or night, and there's no charge for us to come out. Even as small an issue as flipping a breaker or changing a filter, whatever it may be, we've got you covered. Gotcha. I also really loved the the estimate uh, stuff you were talking about earlier, because we yeah. all know we know that estimates, you know, generally you don't want to make the decision for the customer, but I love the way you put it as this is a band-aid and this is a like you'll never have to worry about it again. Do you yeah. do your tech, do you train your technicians to use that type of layman's terms when presenting options? Yeah, absolutely. So each trade's a little bit different in how they present, but for the most part, it's uh, the biggest part is talking to the customer in what we call our explore step. So it's finding out what problems they have, what they do want to fix, and making sure we note all of those items. So even if we're there for something. For one thing, there may be other things that the customer wants to get taken care of at some point, maybe today, maybe in the future, whatever it is, but it's our job as a technician to, uh, and as the professional to uncover all of those things that are in their home that we could potentially add value or fix or make better or whatever it may be. And so after we get done exploring, then it's really time to put together some solutions for the customer. And that's when we get into, this will fix everything you talked about not liking or not satisfied with in the home. This will take care of it all. There's also another option if you want to just take care of a couple of these things. And that's what this looks like. And then if you just want to take care of the issue that you called us out here for today, I've also got that option on here for you. Take some time, look through it, and then let me know how you'd like to proceed. Our hope is that we can get this work done for you today. Gotcha. I think that's great. Were those explore conversations, did those kind of inspire your also adding plumbing to Peterman? I don't know that that inspired us to add it on that side per se, but I think that it is, uh, we learn a lot 
from each of the disciplines, whether it be plumbing or heating that we can use, you know, kind of to cross sell or really, uh, really provide total value. Sometimes teaching a plumber how to look for issues that may present themselves on a furnace if they haven't had that check this year, you know, a leaking humidifier or something of that nature that could cause damage. Gotcha. Talk to me about how you guys made the decision to add plumbing to Peterman Services because your dad started the company in 86 and I believe you said you didn't add plumbing to like 2013 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we were uh, growing and then um, we were turning over, we got more customers turning over water heaters to a guy we had just worked with until one day we were kind of like, you know, maybe I ought to just do this. And so we got in and it wasn't pretty at the beginning, especially on the residential side, because we just really didn't know residentially what we were doing. We knew plumbing, you know, the guy that we brought on to run it was a licensed plumber and, you know, new plumbing. It was just that residential piece that it took us a little while to figure out. I would say Nexstar was the biggest help when it came to really understanding plumbing and then how we were going to make it work for us. So it was a, it was a labor of love. That's for sure. And a lot of it came down to, and and we're very fortunate of, of finding the right people to put on the team. We, we've, I think twice built the plumbing to sort of built it, tore it all the way down, built it again, tore it all the way down. And now I think we're on our third, uh, third rendition of this whole thing, which I think is the, uh, is the rendition that's going to take us uh, to some pretty cool places. So it's been a lot of fun finding the right guys, putting the right team together was super critical. Yeah, I can imagine that that can be a little intimidating if you've been doing one type of industry for so many years, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to go somewhere else. It's pretty much very similar. It's like, you know, in the same wheelhouses to what we're doing, but kind of having to reshift your thinking and your process to like make this new industry fit in your existing business. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what we came to find out is it's completely different than heating. It sounded, we were under the same impression, like, oh, this would be simple. You know, the water heater's right next to the furnace. But what we came to find out is it is completely different in so many ways, but it's been a lot of fun. I've le- I personally have learned a ton in doing it, and, and it's, it's a really exciting thing for, uh, for us to continue to grow, for sure. Nice. Well, we've been talking for about an hour, believe it or not. This conversation wow. has flown by. Um, <laughs> What are the biggest lessons that you've learned in your almost 10 years working for Peterman? You know, I, I think that the biggest key is identifying what your, what your business is really about. I know we've touched on it a number of times in here and growing our people and things like that, but it really is true. When you can find the essence of what you're about and what it is that you truly do, when you find that purpose, it's very easy for those that are working on your team to buy into something bigger than running another service call or installing another furnace. And when you can make that connection, when you can get people on your team to start believing in something bigger than themselves, bigger than the service calls that they run that week, and really understand that they're making an impact in this world, that's when you start to see things that are very, very special. You start to hear conversations around the office that you didn't hear before. You start to hear people that didn't, you just see people growing. And it's one of the most satisfying things because, you know, one of the responsibilities of a leader is to really see the potential in those that you're leading, sometimes even potential that they don't see. And so for me, that's been, uh, that's been one of the biggest things is, is really connecting with something higher and then really bringing those along with you to really go chase those, uh, those dreams that, that they too may have. So that's been fun and really something that I've learned along the way. I would say the other one is, uh, you know, if you can dream it, it can come true. And I think that, um, Probably back uh, when I first started, I always thought about what a what a company this size would look like and feel like, and all of those things. And I uh, I've been pleasantly surprised. It's uh, it's been hard. It's been difficult. But when you surround yourself with really great people and uh, invest in them and and really show them that you care, you can really do some cool things. And it's it's a whole lot of fun. That's for sure. I, I have a blast every day at work. We're excited. We're 
about ready. We're about two months out from moving into a brand new building, which will be huge uh, for us. Uh, we're, we're, we've been officially out of space for about six to eight months now. So that's neat. So seeing all those, uh, um, those kind of milestones and being able to celebrate that with the team is going to be a lot of fun. That's awesome. So happy to hear that. And congratulations on the new space. Yeah, thank you. What is one thing that every contractor listening right now could do to improve their business? I would say the one thing that they could do is find out, really sit down and think about how they could add value to kind of the key people on their team. And most times that's accomplished by sitting down and having a conversation. I have a one-on-one meeting with everyone that reports directly to me each week. And to me, that's important. And it's not me telling them what to do. It's them talking about how they performed last week, what they're struggling with, what they need my help with, what went good, what went bad, what they're working on. All of those things to me are important aspects of finding out how you can grow your people. And so to me, the best advice I can give is to really sit down with your people and and ask the question, how can I help you? Where can I help you? What do you need to learn? What do you what are you scared of? And really digging into that. I think sometimes we overlook the emotions and like, well, just go do your job. I, I don't understand why. Just go do, I give you a paycheck on Friday. Just go do your job. But we, when we really sit down and, and really invest the time to listen to our people and understand what it is that they need, oftentimes it's really simple. And if you do that one simple thing, the results are astronomical. That's incredible. Is there anything about the business, how you guys have succeeded that we should have talked about that we didn't? There's a lot of operational things. I mean, you know, we could get into of changes that we've made and improvements that we've made. But, uh, you know, the one thing that we've seen a lot of success with here recently is really just having the right conversations. And as you said earlier, active listening, really listen to understand as opposed to just listening to respond. A lot of us sit there and listen to something only to want to put our two cents in as opposed to listening to understand and, and learn how we can help. So, you know, that, that's been the biggest thing. I'm sure you can probably tell that through, through the course of our conversation that I'm kind of like obsessed with that stuff, but I've also seen it work and uh, we just, we keep just trying to do more and more of that as we continue to move forward. Well, the operational stuff, provided this podcast goes well, maybe I can have you back on and we can talk about that. Yeah, but I think absolutely. this was um, a wonderful introduction to you, to Peterman, and to especially the way you guys look at culture. That's definitely yeah. been the theme here, and I've really appreciated talking to you. Would you like to plug anything other than uh, your incredibly successful business? Yeah, um, if uh, I just finished last December, January, we haven't, is uh, I wrote a book on uh, how we operate. So it kind of ties into uh, to our podcast, Can't Stop the Growth, uh, where we sh- I share leadership stuff. The book talks exclusively about what we talked about today, pretty much. So it details how we run things and our belief in culture and growing people and empowering them. Amazing. It's called Can't Stop the Growth by Chad Peterman. Yep, you got it. Perfect. All right. Well, again, I like I said before, I have so many books that I need to reference. I need to recommend to contractors, and this is definitely getting added to the list. Chad, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate having you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. The grit and know-how required to tackle your community's toughest jobs hasn't changed, but the way companies run their business has. Service Titan is the only field service software that was born in the trades, built for the trades. If you're interested in seeing what Service Titan can do for your business, request a demo at servicetitan.com trades, and we'll send you a new Milwaukee tool set, plus a free iPad when you sign up. That's servicetitan.com trades. You've been listening to Toolbox for the Trades, presented by Service Titan, the leading home and commercial field service software. Please subscribe to Toolbox for the Trades wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out servicetitan.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening.